Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast. Here's your host, Charles Sizemore. Welcome to the Banyan Edge Podcast, America's number one source for smarter, safer, more profitable investing, where we aim to bring you the very best ideas and the very best minds in the business, completely filter-free. I am your host, Charles Sizemore, and joining me today are the illustrious Ian King and Amber Lancaster. Welcome, guys. Hi, thank you. Hey, Charles. <laughs> well, Ian, uh, I'm going to address you first here. Uh, you and I, last week, we revisited what was really the most kind of thought-provoking and, and, well, not just thought-provoking, just response-provoking article in the history of Banyan Edge. You wrote a piece back in December about uh, firing China and, and you know what that's you know basically our our buzzword for deglobalization yeah the this decoupling of China and the US mm-hmm. and back when you wrote the original article we got we, we still get feedback from that but we've, we've been getting more feedback even from our podcast last week and I'm actually going to start with a couple quotes that have come in you really got people riled up here man so Shirley, my writes, wife says I'm pretty good at that. Getting you're good at riling people up, yeah, huh? I've been accused of that a few times, but go ahead. Shirley writes in to say, "When are we going to take back the companies already purchased by China, like Smithfield Foods? And when when are we uh, manufacturing our own medications and anything that affects our health instead of allowing that to be done by any other country? Let us go back to owning this country ourselves, so we have no dependence on any other country. We can help others and sell things to them, and even work with others." But not be beholden to other countries for anything. Hmm. And let me, before we comment on that, let me let me read one more. Lena writes, "I am all for bringing manufacturing back to America. Take those factories to states that have high unemployment and create jobs for the welfare recipients, and keep the profits for ourselves. I don't like buying Chinese products." Hmm. And these weren't the only comments. These were two that I, I picked out, but there's been others. Yeah, I, this this is really something that people care about. So tell me why. Well, I, Amber is going to share some more data on the reshoring and onshoring uh, in, in a little bit later in this webinar. But I want to focus first about, you know, what are China's problems? Why are they saber rattling now? And I think it's important for our viewers to understand is that for most of my life and our adult lives, we thought of China as being this great growth engine of the world, right? They've got this huge base of population and people are moving from subsistence farming to factory workers and their uh, wages are going up and they're spending more money and they're developing this huge middle class. I'm here to tell you right now that that has peaked, completely peaked. And the reason why is because in 1980, China came up with this one child policy, which basically said that if you have a son, you can have another child until you have a girl, then you have to stop, right? So if your first child is a girl, you can't have any more kids. Mm -hmm. And that lowered the birth rates in China. And why that is important is because the most, basically the the long range uh, growth of an economy is based on whether or not you can replace the population. Okay, so in every economy, you're gonna have a growing population, you need to replace those people with people in the workforce that can pay into the system and pay social security and other types of benefits for the retirees. China has completely missed that. And if you look at some of the- I might add in, their, their population's already shrinking. Like this it's is already, already happening. Like this is so not like something, peaked. oh, it's going to happen. It's already happening. Exactly. So they probably peaked at about 1.4 billion and they shrank in 2022. And by the end of the century, uh, pe- you know, analysts are predicting that they'll be to 700, 800 million. So that's about half of where they are now. Now, what is even more important is that, think about this, Charles. 
if you were a family in China and you had a girl in the last 30 years and she's your only child, you're going to invest more in her education. So what that's led to is that females, women in the workforce in China are more educated than men. And it's leading to a mismatch in in demographics where the, the women don't want to marry the men because, you know, if you're like the third or fourth son of somebody, you haven't had as much money invested in your education be, as in terms of, or if you're a one child, you know, only female child that, that grew up with two parents investing in your education. And so you're seeing household formation numbers down at a time when China needs more marriages, people to have kids to grow the economy, to move into a lot of vacant spaces. Of course, you've probably seen issues with the property sector. And it's the point that like, they're starting to knock down buildings right now to keep real estate, uh, to keep prices, prices up. Yeah, because wow. you have way too much supply for less demand. So that is like a huge factor in, in terms of like what China's problems are. And by the way, there's no good solution to that because you, you, every person is both a producer and a consumer. You, you, you have a job, you produce things, and you also buy stuff. And so fewer people means fewer, fewer shoppers, you know, fewer people swiping credit cards. And then it's not just fewer people, it's also the, the, the kind of the breakdown of the population when your population is leaning older, older people don't buy as much as people in middle age or, or, or younger. So that that's a big dearth of demand. I, I can then, attest to that, by the way. My garage is full of stuff that we bought for, you know, our two year old and, and upcoming child. <laughs> But think about your, your parents, though. Your parents don't spend like you do, not, not now. I mean, you know, they did when they were in their 40s, no. but not, no. not now. I mean, they're, 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 they're past that stage of their life. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the point you made about, you know, Chinese women are, are very well educated now. And well, now they're now in this world where, well, first off, one of the biggest impediments to a high birth rate is the more educated mothers are, they get married later, and they start families exactly. later. So even if they wanted to have a big family, it, it's like they, they're starting later. And so that, that reduces the potential size of a family. So right. there's no so, easy way to get out of that. So the end of the story is there are structural problems with China's economy. And it's led to a growth in nationalism, right? Because like when you have issues in your own economy, you want to blame everybody else, right? It's the Westerners who are taking advantage of us. And so that is why you see more saber rattling out of China and why, you know, for the last five or so years, we've had more protectionist policies against one another. It started with the Trump administration, continued over the Biden administration. You know, last but not least, this is leading to China trying to become the producer of high-end advanced chips, which primarily are made in Taiwan, as we covered last week's webinar, and the US stopping China from getting the type of equipment that's necessary to make these type of chips. So we're trying to cut China out from basically the entire AI race. And that is the, the basis of the, the new chip war, is that the US wants to be able to control the means of production for the type of applications that are going to create the next wave of economic growth and also military strength, because it's not just, you know, it's great that we're going to have robots that are building things, but they're also gonna be able to build weapons and, and be able to use these type of chips in, in, in supersonic high powered missiles that we don't want China to get a hold of. Well, and, it would also be quite awkward if they were the ones building the components that we needed for the missiles. Like, hey, China, hey, hold on, we, we need the, <laughs> we need those component parts for the missiles we plan to aim at you later, right? So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thankfully, most of those awkward, are built in uh, Taiwan right now. So, but I mean, that, that's the problem is everything is built in Taiwan. So with the CHIPS Act, 
we want to bring that type of production back home to the U.S. It's not going to happen in the next couple of years, but by the end of the decade, uh, you know, the U.S. will likely be the the chips manufacturer, leading chip manufacturer of the world. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's it, it's looking that way. Like, that's like the the government's behind it, um, private industry's behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting point is. You know, it's funny, this conversation for, for people that were paying attention, this has been going on for a while. You go back to, uh, I guess it would have been about 2018 or so. Uh, that was when the U.S. really cracked down on, on Huawei. The, uh, we, we basically outlawed Huawei from producing any 5G cell infrastructure in the U.S. because we thought that could be used as a backdoor for surveillance or for spying. We weren't comfortable with it. But that wasn't, that wasn't it. It didn't end there. We actually started twisting arms of our allies to, to do the same. And it, it's funny, we, we, you know, we're, we're besties with uh, the UK. Like they're probably our closest ally in the world have been since World War II. We flat out told them, guys, quit using Huawei or we're not going to share intel with you anymore. And lo and behold, um, I guess it was, I think, earlier this year, actually, or maybe, maybe late last year, the UK actually formally, finally agreed, yeah, we're going to phase out all Huawei. So, and, and that, you know, that it accelerated under the Trump administration, but it's, it's actually continuing under the Biden administration. Um, we've, he's blacklisted several other uh, companies. ZTE is now effectively, you know, pushed out of our markets. So it's, this is, this is snowballing. It, it, it's, it's been big for a while and it just keeps getting bigger. Yeah. I mean, you don't want them setting up like the communication infrastructure that could potentially be spying on us in the U S or with our allies. Right. So you well, can they see got why. Their balloons. So maybe the balloons were their plan B, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, so the balloons is just making this more of a hot button issue, which is creating more companies that want to get their supply chains out of China into other countries. You already saw Amber and I talked about this morning that Foxconn is looking to set up a plant and bring a hundred thousand jobs in India, right? Foxconn, it has been synonymous basically with Chinese iPhone production and they want to move and build another plant in India. Uh, there's no word whether or not they're going to shut their plant down in China. Perhaps maybe they'll try to grow it elsewhere, but you're seeing a lot of other companies that used to produce in China, moving to Vietnam and others of South Asia to get Nothing out of there because they don't want to be caught in the protectionist crossfires between the U S and China. But this is a great opportunity for American companies that make chips in the U S. And I think this is a trend that's just going to continue over this decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now, Amber, you had some data on that, I believe. You mentioned I that. Do. Actually, I, I was reading through Shirley and Lena's uh, comments, and I just wanted to, to underpin what they were uh, detailing in their comment. And it's something that I actually touched on in yesterday's um, or Sunday's Banning Edge article. So please check out this graphic. Uh, I want to show you this recent Deloitte survey. So the survey actually found that 62% of manufacturers or nearly half of transport companies have actually already started reshoring or nearshoring their production capacities here. And as a recap for anyone just hearing about reshoring, which we all read, we talk about often, Ian and I, Mm-hmm. Reshoring yep. is just the opposite of offshoring. It just means that companies are bringing production and manufacturing back home, back to the country in which the uh, company was first established. So this data from Deloitte also showed that U.S. companies likely reshored nearly 350,000 jobs in 2022, up from 260,000 in 2021. And that transport and manufacturing executives who actually run companies that make around $500 million a year at least, 
actually anticipate, quote, I have a quote here, a significant share of Asia originating freight to move onshore or near shore to alleviate supply chain challenges and improve competitive positioning. That's what's happening right now. And per Deloitte data, this could actually decrease, decline, decrease uh, the share of Asia originating shipments uh, to the U.S. by, get this, by 20% by 2025 and by 40% by 2030. So this onshore, nearshore, whatever you want to call it, reshore. It's seven years from now, you're talking about that dropping by that much in that yeah. little of, of time. It's just, it's not that much time. So this is something that it, it could, it's in the process of happening and companies are thinking in, are thinking in this paradigm shift type way. And this for, it's actually forecast to happen during the time, Charles, when China's dominance in global trade is anticipated to decline uh, with its trade growth falling anywhere from 26% to 13% within the next five years. And I just wanted to also add, guys, if you're wondering what regions of the U.S. can expect a reshoring manufacturing type boom or an employment boost, well, please look no further in the U.S. than the Midwest, Midwestern states, as well as Texas. And I have another graphic for you. Uh, this graphic shows manufacturing and transport leaders have high expectations of reshoring to both of these regions. So we could be looking at a very interesting renaissance in these two parts of the country going forward. That's interesting. The Midwest, it, it's, you know, it's midpoint of the country. So you produce there. It's very easy to move the goods to either coast. Right. Um, you know, Texas has the benefit of also having a, a large coastline of its own. So mm -hmm. that does make it kind of a nice hub. So well, you had one word in there that actually got my attention. Mm -hmm. I wanted I, I, competitiveness. It's, mm -hmm. it's it, this is not just like national security or, or whatnot or, or protecting the supply chain. They're doing it because it's cheaper now. Like they can actually make these moves and have it not affect their earnings or, or actually affect their earnings in a positive way. Like it, that's, think about how different that is than just not that long ago when the move was just, we got to, you know, we got to shave off, you know, we, we got to shave off some margin here. We, we got to yeah. boost our profits. We're just going to go to cheap labor. That just, that dynamic does not exist now. It's gone in reverse. Done in reverse. And and I was going to say, Charles, I think you brought up too, is that there might be some short-term hit to margins, right? Because you're going to have a lot more CapEx spending, mm -hmm. which is great. There are a whole host of companies that are going to be absorbing this CapEx spending, right? One large multinational spending is someone else's profit. Yeah. So as we're reshoring, there are companies here in the United States that you can invest in that are actually helping bring back production to the United States. And again, this is another trend that is going to just continue this decade. It's already, you know, the 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 shift is already starting to happen. And once well, you go in, actually, we need an appropriate like drum roll for this. Just you know, th th this is where we're going here. Mm -hmm. So we've really identified. There's this trend, this deglobalization. I mean, for, it started more with with the government. You know, the government was uncomfortable with the rise of China for defense reasons. But then you had the pandemic. You've had you know intellectual property theft, etc. Now the private sector is also not comfortable with it. The, the private sector doesn't want to get caught in this new cold war. Mm -hmm. And so now I, I, I saw a stat, um, this was an article from Bloomberg from about six months ago that said mentions of the buzzwords reshoring, nearshoring, et cetera, were up a thousand percent from just 2019 levels. Mm -hmm. So now that the private sector is, is pushing this even further, it's really snowballing, drum roll, 
what do we do about it? You know, this, this is a, this is, you know, every crisis brings with it an opportunity. And so. Yeah. And, and so we have uh, a, a newsletter. I think this is what you're trying to get to uh, extreme fortunes where we have a new report on the, you know, the chip wars and basically the top three companies that we believe are going to profit from this huge trend, uh, which also brings me back to the point. It's amazing. So a lot of this happened just because of COVID, right? So you have this virus, right? That probably leaked out of a lab somewhere in Wuhan, China. It was from a snake or a bat. Nobody really knows. It went to humans. And it basically realigned the entire globe supply chains because companies realized that they can't rely on these places of the world in times of, you know, total shutdown. China has been on and off lockdown for the last three years. Companies- I think they're finally open. Finally. They're finally open, right? But they've been on and off. I mean, they could have another outbreak soon, and they could, you know, shut it down again. So, I, I think the world is waking up to there's a better way to do things, and it's come becoming self fulfilling. Because remember, I told you about how there's a national strain in China right now, blaming everybody else for their problems. If you continue to have uh, layoffs in China in the production sector, it's just going to reinforce. This nationalism there, which is going to uh, add to more of the strife between China and the U.S., which in turn will bring more jobs back to the U.S. even a faster rate, right? So, you know, you have this CHIPS Act here in the United States, which is incentivizing chip production in the U.S., getting it out of uh, countries because it's this. some of these chips are in the interest of national security, like we talked about, whether they're used in military applications or in artificial intelligence. This is the way the world's heading. Please check out our Extreme Fortunes report. I did a webinar and interview about this, and uh, you can you can get the report by subscribing to Extreme Fortunes. So I will I say we covered this: it all there. If it ever if it ever really gets rough, if this thing really does snowball and it, the saber rattling, you know, it, it started. This cold war turns into a hot war. At least our side has Mike Carr. When he's not making <laughs> options trades, he actually moonlights as a one man A team. Uh, you know, Top Gun pilot, uh, elite uh, super soldier. He's on our side. That's funny. I'm joking. Or am I? We I'm not sure, not. to be honest. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, th- thanks. Thanks for coming on. This is I, I, I love this. I suspect we're going to be talking about this many, many, many more times over the next weeks, months, years. This this concept of deglobalization this this isn't going away. This is a mega trend. This is you know the the globalization trend really started after World War II and it lasted until very recently. As you mentioned, COVID was kind of that straw that broke the camel's back. There were these tensions before, and then COVID happens, and that was just that was it. Like that was the final like the pinprick there that like you know popped that bubble, and now it's deflating out the other way here. So this is a trend that's going to be with us for a while, but that's fine because mm-hmm. we can make money on it. Yeah. This, uh, you know, COVID this wasn't ca- the straw that killed that. It was the virus that killed the camel. It wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> it was the it virus that made the, the camel fall down on its back. I guess yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll say that. Um, I don't know where to go from there. That's, we're really mixing some metaphors, but <laughs> anyway, this is uh, you know, this is it. Like as you said, one company's expense, you know, is another company's revenue, and all of that's coming back home. This is a mega trend, going to be with us for years. We plan to make a lot of money on it. 
So with that, we will wrap it up. Guys, thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us. <laughs>